Well, it's good to see you. I, 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 I'm happy to have exposed all the football idolaters who didn't make it. But, but, but we do need to pray since going into the fourth quarter, the score is 21-21. Um, Chiefs and Bengals, and I'm pulling for the Bengals. So, how many, how many of you pulling for the Bengals? All right. We can't have Patrick Mahomes horning in on our boy Tom Brady. I mean, we just can't be having that, right? We got. <laughs> so, as you can see, I'm not a football idolater. <laughs> so good to see. You. I love these times, and it's just to do something different, and uh, and. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are shoveling somebody out and all that kind of stuff, so we pray for them. And my snowblower decided not to work, so. <laughs> but I preach longer when I'm tired, so that you just <laughs> be aware of that. Because <laughs> I can't get my thoughts together. It's just it's too hard. But I love that song they did while going, so fits with the message, because we're going to talk about the church, the body of Christ, the community of Jesus tonight, and I, I pulled up those. I wasn't. I wasn't checking the score during worship, uh, so I just want well, you to know that. And uh, so I, I was actually looking up the lyrics of this song, and it said uh, I, I hadn't heard it before. The re-surrender song that they did a minute ago. You, we are your people. We are. You are our God. We are your temple. We, not me, not me, am, and I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. But said we. We are, make us holy like you are. You, you see a holy nation, a flock to consecrate, a chosen generation, a people, to, a people called to pray. Um, we're your people. You're our God. We're your temple. Make us holy like you are. Um, I love those lyrics, and it fits with what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, we're, the last message in the series, we're experiencing the community of Jesus and uh, I want to talk about experiencing the community of Jesus, experiencing the community of Jesus through praise, I mean, I'm sorry, through, through uh, experiencing God through the community of Jesus. I told you, I told you, it's longer when I'm tired. Uh, experiencing the, the God through the community of Jesus. Now, last week we, we talked about experiencing God through, the, through praise and worship. Now, I want to make a connection between praise and worship and being related to the community of Jesus. Now, it, we'll, we'll explain it. You'll, you'll understand when I read the passage in a second that the community of Jesus is you and I, those of us who are here tonight, and those who aren't here tonight, but they're part of this community. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9, He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Notice this community he's talking about. His people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we, we will grow up. Um, into him, uh, we will grow up into to him who is the head, who is that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every sort, supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part 
does its work. Um, now, uh, if we go back to Ephesians 4.14, it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of doctrine. So, now last week we talked about experiencing God through praise and worship. And that, of course, uh, that, that can be challenging to do that because we have to get out of our comfort zone and maybe you haven't physically entered into worship. That's what we talked about. We talked about uh, posture, body language, speaking to our love and our position in God. And so uh, I, I was surprised as I continued to my research, I was really surprised uh, to find out. You see, you might find out this is even a little bit more challenging to you because this extends beyond just what you do in the service, and it's what you do with your life. It's what you do after the service. It's what you do on Monday through Saturday, uh, you know. And, um, but but I, I learned something, and that is that the, uh, researchers have really researched what happens to your brain when you worship, when you, when you engage in any type of religious ritual. What they found out is two things happen. First of all, they found out the frontal lobe in your brain quiets down when you enter religious ritual. Of any type of religion, you take communion, or you sing, or you raise your hands in worship. Any type of religious ritual. The the frontal lobe quiets down. The frontal lobe is the part of your brain that controls willful activity. For for instance, if someone uh, says something really annoying to you, and a signal will hit your amygdala, which is at the base of your brain, which, control, which, is, which, which is where emotion is registered. So a signal of annoyance hits your amygdala, and your frontal lobe immediately thinks uh, of uh, a willful activity, uh, uh, like punch them out. <laughs> and uh, so... When, when that part of your brain, but, but then you'll have a second thought, you know? You do this all the time. You have a second thought. If I do that, I might go to jail. <laughs> well, I, I, th- th- there's a huge problem, though, with the loss of income. Uh, <laughs> they don't pay well <laughs> in there. So you, you have that second thought. So you, the other, another part of your brain says, hold on, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't, maybe I should not punch them uh, because it, you know, it will create a big fight and, and maybe they're bigger than me, so we'll lose the fight. <laughs> so you, you, your reason takes over. So the, 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 the frontal lobes, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's a part of you that's self-conscious. So, so it, it quiets down your self-consciousness and, and you move, this, this, is really, this is really good, you move from being in the posture of making something happen to something happening to you. That's what happens when you worship. You move from thinking about what, you're, what you should do and what you should do about problems in life, about situations in life. You move from that to, to, to and it's, it's, it happens to you biologically when you worship. And isn't that amazing? That God wired you to worship. He wired you to do that. The second thing that happened is an uh, area of the brain that's located somewhere in the upper back part of the cortex. Uh, you know, I don't really know about these things. I just can read sentences. You know, it's, it's called a parietal lobe. And, and that helps you to establish uh, 
what they call a spatial relationship. You, you, you know, I, I mean, I, can, I know what they're talking about. They're talking about that um, personal space that you all have. You know all about that, right? You have this personal space. You know, you know when, 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 they, when, they, when they instituted the, the uh, socially distancing, I was actually quite happy. <laughs> I was like, I like people staying six feet away from me when I go to the store. This is perfect. You know, I really appreciate that. And uh, that, that, that little that social business, we, we should continue that when we're out in public, you know. But when you enter the act of worship, that, that, that also, that part of your brain also quietens down, that you no longer have that sense of needing space between you and another person. That, that sense of needing personal space disappears and you, you could care less that people around you are right up next to you. In fact, it's very common in worship atmospheres that people hug each other. It's very common. R- really, r- really, that's what you see. You see it in sports all the time. In sports, sport, the sporting events are worship events. They're worship events. And you watch what happens. Grown men... Sweaty men, big men, men's men, what do they do after they win a game? They start, I love you. I mean, I think, I think Bill Belichick, I think I saw his lips, read his lips one time, I love you. Bill Belichick. Isn't that, I mean, this is fascinating to me. That God has wired you to worship, and he's wired you so that that worship leads to community. That worship leads to you letting down your inhibitions about your personal space and letting other people in. And moving closer to people that are part of your community, the community of Christ. We have not began to explore the power of the community of Christ. I mean, the story is told that, what's his name, uh, uh, Napoleon looked at a map of China a long, long time ago and said, there lies a sleeping giant. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, don't, I, I, I know that was true. That, that giant has awakened, by the way. But I know that also another Napoleon named Lucifer, Satan, I know he looked at a map and he sees the church. He says, there lies the sleeping giant. If she ever wakes up and realizes the power that she has, it will change the world. Okay? Let's get into this. And I'm, I'm, I, I told you it was going to be long. I am trying, but it, I'm not moving very fast to, to, to get into this because I've got five points I need to talk about. I... <laughs> And I haven't gotten to the first one yet. Huh? <laughs> um, let, let's, ex, let's explain a couple of things that happen. Uh, I'm going to give you five experiences that you will have to get from the community of Jesus to be properly equipped to be a fruitful follower of Jesus. You cannot get them from yourself or from your own research, or your own prayer. You have to get them from the community. You have to get them from one another. Now let me explain two things that happened that set us up for failure that we have to overcome. One, 
Adam and Eve sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, the ego was born. Pride was born. They immediately didn't begin, they didn't, they didn't cooperate or take care of one another very well. Uh, the best they could do for one another is make fig leaves for clothes. Now that's pretty pathetic, isn't it? That's, they were broken in they, and of course we know they blamed one another like crazy. I mean, they, the only reason they didn't get a divorce is because there was no one else. <laughs> I'm serious. And then they had a couple of boys, and, and you would think, you would think that they could get along. You know, it wasn't like the, there was a lot going on in the world. Well, you would think they could get along. One, one boy was a, was a farmer and raised cattle. That was Cain. I mean, that was, that was Abel. And then Cain was, a, was, a, was a, uh, a, a farmer who raised, I guess, fruits and vegetables. And so God required a blood sacrifice. So Abel was all set. He brought to God a blood sacrifice. Cain also was required to bring a blood sacrifice, but here was his problem. And and we we see Cain um, uh, so crippled by this that that it birthed in him a spirit of competition, feelings of rejection, bitterness, rage, and eventually murder. And what what spurred that in him was that in order for him to please God, he had to need his brother. The only place he was going to get a sacrifice to offer to God was from his brother Abel. That's the only place that Cain was going to get what he needed to offer to God what God was desiring. God did that on purpose. God purposely set it up so that Abel would, uh, Cain would need his brother Abel and Abel would have to be generous to his brother Cain. And Cain did not like that arrangement. And he became so angry that God had to come down from heaven and actually visit with him and appeal to him and plead with him not to be angry at his brother. And he even refused the very person of God and went from competition to feelings of rejection to bitterness and to murder rather than need his brother. Some people, I mean, some people, obviously, snowstorm and other, other things going on tonight. So I'm not upset that people aren't here. But uh, some people aren't here tonight because they don't understand or will not accept that they need you. I'm here tonight because I need you. I'm here tonight because I need you. I'm here tonight because we need each other. And I thought about this service as we, we sat around and talked about what should we do. And we're not, I didn't bring you together because oh, we need to, to receive the offering. And thankfully, so many people give online now. We're so grateful for that, that, that you don't depend as much on the meeting as, you, as we used to. Uh, I, I'm not here tonight because... Uh, I didn't want to do other things. I would like to be watching the game right now. Well, just the little con- confession of sin. <laughs> I would like to be watching the game, and that's something I like to do on Sunday afternoons and late in the day on Sunday. But I, this is such a priority to me, to be with you. It's such a priority. It, it's a, it's 
It's so valuable to me. And I, I want to I I, I always send that message. You know, and there will be times, I suppose, that it was, I, I don't, but by the way, I talk to other pastor friends. Some, many of them cancel, and I, I don't think that's wrong or bad or they're terrible or anything like that. But I just really feel passionate about this, about being together. So what, what are the five things that you, what are the five things that you get from the community of Jesus? And I love that phrase, by the way. I, I would like for us to start thinking of ourselves like that. I would like for us to start thinking uh, with, that, with that sentence or that phrase, we are the community of Jesus. I, back years ago when we changed the name of the church from Bethany, uh, uh, Bethany Assembly of God, uh, BAG was not a great acronym, so we, we changed the, the name to Bethany Community Church, which I, I, I really, the, the name that was... I wanted to change it to was uh, 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 Christ Community Church. But th- there was a church in Blackstone at the time. I don't know if the Blakeneys are here tonight. The Blakeneys, are you here? The Blakeneys were part of that church, and they live over in Blackstone. And, and that church uh, that church has since closed. So, um, oh, hey, we can, do, we can change the name now. But uh, anyway, that's why we didn't do it. But... Um, so let's look at the five things that, and there are more than five. There's probably 105 or 25 or 10, but let's just, let's just stick with five. No, the one, number one, is love. Sure, sure, we can give and get love, and hopefully we do from all kinds of people, family, longtime friends, coworkers, neighbors. There are people who don't darken these doors, who have, um, who, who don't have a robust, visible faith, but, uh, but we feel love from them, right? Uh, we feel their love for them. They love us. Great. But God has placed us in the body of Christ to experience his love from one another. He's put us in the church to experience Christ's love. Uh, the Bible says in chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. Love is supposed to flow between us that transmit the very, the very person of Jesus to one another. He said in 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. This is very, very significant. Love one another. Uh, say, one another. one another. Circle the words one another. It's a very important term. Let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. So, He's saying to me, I'm going to experience the love of God. Yes, I will experience it directly. Yes, I will experience it when I pray, when I read his word, when I worship. But there's an aspect of the love of God that I'm supposed to get from you. And you're supposed to get from me. Now, now please don't be put off by the one another. I, I've had people in the past who visited the church who were put off by that term. They were put off by the idea and here's what I mean by that. They're put off by the idea that there's us and them in the world. There's us and them. That's the people who are not followers of Jesus. And so there's us and there's them. And, and I've tried to reconcile that many times in my mind. Well, there's us and them. And I know that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But I cannot change reality. The reality is we have some of us, certain people in the earth, have entered into a covenant with God through Jesus 
And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And I did not design any of this. I know you thought so. <laughs> I, I, know, I know you thought that I, I controlled the universe and God and everything else, but I don't control anything. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I had nothing to do with the fall. I, I wasn't there, okay? I didn't break the covenant with God, and, and, and I did not come up with the means of salvation. God did not call me. He did not ask me, what do you think I should do to get him back? He totally thought of it all by himself. Right there in the Garden of Eden, he announced, he announced that, 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 he, that the, the, the serpent would, would afflict his heel, but he would bruise his head, uh, implying, implying the fact that Christ would, would be crucified, but he would be raised again, and he would defeat it. And, 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 and he said, the Bible, 1 Corinthians 1, 17, that we, are, that, that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. So he created a new creation. He created a people. He created a people. He always had a people. So I, I, I did not come up with this idea, but it's God's idea, and I cannot refute it. So, so there's the, them and us. I understand that's a problem for some people. But to, command, but to have a community of people who are being taught to love, you, here's, here's what God wants. He wants a community of people who are being taught to love you intentionally, intuitively, with the love of the Lord. Something you should treasure. You should treasure that I'm in a room where if the people in this room are obedient, and I'm not suggesting we're all always obedient to God, but if the people in this room are obedient to God, they will love you unconditionally. They will love you no matter what happens, and no matter what you do, they will love you, and, and they will love you um, they will love you with the view of helping you be your best self. Not just merely love you like maybe uh, people love you who just love you. But people who love you with an intent to help you be your best self. Now that is an incredible part of love. That's an incredible uh, uh, kind of love. And, and so, see, love is not something you have, it's something you do. Uh, lo love is an action. You, you don't have people in church, and you, and you don't just have people come into church and you decide uh, if you like them. And then if you like them, you might actually start to love them. Now, that's how worldly love works. Worldly love works. You walk into a place, a social event place, and you run into somebody, and you talk to them. And how many times have I heard people say this? You met, they met this guy. They just met him. He's a nice guy. <laughs> And how many times you see them six months later? Yeah. Right? How do you know he's a nice guy? Because he smiles a lot? Being a, knowing if someone's a nice guy or a nice lady requires relationship. And so, so worldly love, you go, if, you know, if six months later you find out they're not a nice guy at all, they rip everybody off, they're... they're you know, flirting with my spouse, they're doing this, they're doing that, <laughs> you know, and you go, you know, I'm, I'm, but, but in, in the community of Christ, in the community of Jesus, there's nothing you should ever be able to do to stop me from loving you, because I didn't go from like to love, 
I go from love to like. I love you, so I'm going to figure out how to like you. It may take a long time, but I'm going to figure out. And I hope you will do the same for me. That, that it may take 20 years, but you figure out how to like me. That is, do you get it, folks? That's what the gospel is. God is patient. Here's the description of God in 1 Corinthians 13. God is patient, kind, not jealous, does not brag, is not prideful, is not rude, is not selfish, is not easily angered, does not keep a list of mistakes, does not enjoy evil, protects, hopes, perseveres, because God is love. What is crystal clear in Scripture is that God calls me to do that for everyone, but he calls me to start by establishing that as the standard in the church. This means that I will fully experience the love of God in the community of love called the community of Jesus. The local church is the laboratory. You said, don't we supposed to love all over the place? Yes, absolutely. But the local church is the laboratory for all other loving in our our life. It's the laboratory. The scripture says you can't even say you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brother that you have seen. So love, number one. You should, you should look to the community of Jesus to give and get love. Secondly, healing and forgiveness. James 5, 15 and 16 says, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it, as it is working. Now, unfortunately, this scripture does not mean that everyone we pray for will be miraculously healed. It, 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 you know, as you know, we have a loss in our family this week, uh, Jay's mother-in-law and Pastor Jay's mother-in-law and Marilyn's mom, and uh, we're, we're mourning that loss. We certainly pray that she would heal. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of people have read the script, New Testament and, and, uh, and, and they believe that everyone's going to be healed, but, but that's not uh, biblical. Uh, if that was true, uh, a, a lot of people in the book of Acts and the New Testament were not in line with God's will because they, didn't, they, did, not, they did not all get healed. Uh, St- Stephen didn't get raised from the dead after he was stoned to death. They did not all get healed. And, and, uh, and, and uh, Paul would not have told, told uh, um, uh, Timothy uh, you know, to take some medicinal wine for his stomach ailments if this was a magic thing that everybody gets healed. But nevertheless, nevertheless, you are promised the affirmation of the body of Christ, praying for your physical healing, first of all, and God does still heal the sick. So that's first of all. First of all, it's physical healing. Secondly of all, there's, a, there, there's probably a, what I would say a greater type of healing that's, that, that, that is talked about here. Verse 15 Verse 15 deals with the most important kind of healing that saints of God give to one another, and that is the healing of the heart, the mind, and the soul. The heart, the mind, the emotions, right? When we confess our sins to one another, uh, just because you 
left the Roman Catholic Church doesn't mean you should stop going to confession. You now have a much larger confessional. This whole room is a confessional now. You have now a much larger confessional available to you, more available and more relational. Probably more, rela- more relatable, <laughs> right? And I'm not criticizing at all the, the Roman Catholic version of confession. In another message to my younger self, I would say to my younger self, I, would, I should have been more forthcoming with others, with other brothers and sisters about times of struggle with sin in my own life. Uh, I got through some things, but I did it the hard way. And, and, and God designed the, the people in this room to hear your confession of sin and to help you through it. And if you want to get through it quicker, don't hide anything. Now, you don't tell everybody. I understand that. I'm not saying stand up and, you know, we, we used to have Wednesday night testimony service that were often Wednesday night confessional services. People would get up and often share things they should have told a Christian friend privately. And they would tell everyone. But don't do that, okay? You're not going to do that anyway. I'm not worried. I'm more concerned that you want practice the confessional that's available to you. Um, th- that's available to you. Uh, don't let your ego and your fear. Because God has wired your brothers and sisters to love you and forgive you. It's one of the most natural Christian instincts. I think it's a natural instinct that God has put in humans. There's just a natural instinct to want to forgive. Now, everybody doesn't forgive. I understand that. Some of you are looking at me like, I, you, somebody won't forgive me. Yeah, sure, I understand that. But there is somebody in this room who will forgive you and who will love you. And I don't believe you will complete the circle of forgiveness without human-to-human redemption transmission. Uh, you say, but doesn't Jesus forgive me? Well, yes, he does. But there's an interesting, that's an interesting question because Scripture certainly makes a point of saying if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. And, and, and you know, because we know that's true. But it also tells us in this, in this verse in James that I just gave to you that if we confess our sins to one another and we pray for one another that they may be healed. Now, that's very interesting to me. I thought about that a lot. This, this week, I thought, okay, now, I know that, that we can confess our sins with just us and the Lord. And so, and, and, and I think most of the time that's fine. Most of the times, you know, it's fine. Just ask the Lord to forgive you and move on with your life. But is it, what, he, what he points out to us in James, and I think, I, think what he, I think what God is telling us in the book of James, is there are sin patterns that make you sick. And they're pathological. And they're, and they're addictions. They're addictive. And you're not going to break them by yourself. Right? Is that... Is that I, believe there are, I believe there are sin patterns. And that's what you have to figure out. Now, 
I don't think you have to confess every single sin in your life. If you have, if you have an outburst of anger, I don't think you necessarily have to call somebody on the phone or, or go to see somebody and say, I confess it. But when you, have, when you have chronic rage and anger that you cannot overcome, that you cannot break, and, it, and you've gotten... See, there's a place where, where disobedience and sin can make you emotionally and sociologically sick and unhealthy. And, 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 it, and, and what the tendency when we do that is we start to stuff it and bury it and, and, and don't want to tell anybody. And that's where we need to, that's where we need to confess to the... That's where we need to find Christian brothers and sisters that we can share something in our life that's making us sick. And, 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 and because he says that if I will do that, I will get healed. I know in our CR program, that's what they constantly discover, that people get healed. What they, I, I know you guys have a saying. I believe you have a saying. I've heard it from the recovery movement many times, Scott, is um, you're only as free as your secrets. Absolutely. So where, do you, where can you get rid of your secrets? With the body of Christ with other brothers and sisters of Christ. So let's move on. Each of these could be a sermon by itself. Spiritual abilities. Romans 1.11 I want very much to see you again so that I impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you that you may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This little passage has stumped a lot of theologians for a long time. Do I have the authority to take, you know, uh, from the spiritual gift list in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and just lay hands on you and give you the gift? I don't think so. Uh, I'm okay to leave parts of this uh, a mystery because there's plenty that's obvious. First of all, what's obvious is there are spiritual skills, practices, and abilities that make me a better Christian and a better servant of Christ. Secondly, if I am not interested in developing spiritual skills, practices, and abilities that make me a better Christian, I wonder if I am one. <laughs> No. Uh, what do I have that I... I, I but, but here's what he's saying. Well, I believe he, he, Paul says, I want to come to you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. He does not say, I'm going to come and, uh, I'm going to come and teach you the spiritual gift. I'm going to explain it to you. No, I'm going to come and impart it to you. That means there are certain people in the church. Certain people that you know or maybe you don't know yet. Who are, who are doing something amazing that you need to learn from them. But they can't teach it to you. The only way you're going to get it is if they impart it to you. And the only way they're going to impart it to you is if you hang out with them and you watch them practice it. You know? If you hang out with John Wiersma, you're going to probably learn how to memorize Scripture. Because that's his skill and that's his ability. If John Wiersma hangs out with you, he's going to impart to you a love of Scripture and he's going to impart to you somewhat of an ability to remember Scripture. Because that's what he does. Uh, you know, and and uh, sometimes you come, people come in the church and because I'm up here preaching all the time, they want... Uh, uh, they, want they think, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to get all my spiritual gifts from the pastor. He's going to impart to me. I'll, he, he's going to be the one that imparts to me every... Well, the problem is I don't have all the gifts. I've only got a couple, and I'm still working on them. So I've only got a couple. So 
the, 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 the pastor doesn't have all the gifts, so you can't get all your spiritual gifts from the pastor. You can't get everything that you need from the pastor. You have to get it from one another. Remember what we read in the beginning of this? It says, it talked about every ligament, that's talking about you, every part of the body, that the body grows by every, by, by every part doing its work. The, the, what, what needs to happen in the church is everybody needs to come alive and everybody needs to begin to function. Everybody, everybody needs to be, be, begin to function in ministering to one another. That's what needs to happen. That's what revolutionized the church. When, the, when, the, when all of you become alive and you begin to minister grace to one another and you begin to minister healing to one another and you begin to, you begin to share spiritual gifts with one another and you begin to teach one another spiritual skills and you begin to teach one another how to practice the Christian faith, how to practice love, how to practice forgiveness, how to practice freedom, how to, how, to practice, how to practice a good marriage, how, how, to, how to practice uh, handling your finances, and you begin, to, you begin to teach one another, and you begin to flow with one another, and you begin to relate to one another, and you don't just, you don't just come to a, a service and look at the back of someone, one another's head and hear a sermon and wonder, I don't know why I don't grow more. Well, you were never designed to grow like that. You were never designed to grow by just sitting in services, hearing, hearing, hearing lectures. Right now you're hearing a lecture. It has its, it has its point. It has its, it has its utility to hear a lecture because it's giving you information. It's giving you information, but it's not going to produce life-on-life -life transformation. The only thing that produces transformation is life-on-life. -life. You know, uh, 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 how many of you are in business? You two guys are in business, right? Now, well, uh, uh, you, uh, you have a business that straightens out frames of automobiles, right? That would, that, that's oversimplification, right? We sell equipment. You sell equipment, that's right. You sell equipment that straightens out frames. And, and you, you think you could send me an email that I would be able to read and be able to do your job in a few days? How, how would I ever learn to do your job? That's right. I'd have to come work with you, follow you around, and and, and I know Michael, you're a build, you're a builder. You could not you could not have a 45 minute conversation with me, and I would be able to do what you do. The only way I do what you do is I follow you around for a couple of years, maybe, and then then I might not be able to, but I, but I could I could get closer, you know, than I am today. And so we we produced this whole system of personality driven church. The church has become totally personality-driven with these people. You, you know, a lot of times the guy who's up here, like I am right now, is really the best, the skill they really have is they can talk better than the rest, than the rest of you. We can, we can talk better. We, we can, you know, but, but that doesn't make you skilled at everything just because you can talk about it. You know, that they say about college professors is those who, those who can do and those who can't teach. <laughs> no. If you're going to grow, it's because you've you got to go from like this, staring up at the pastor. Feed me, pastor. Feed me. Teach me. To like this. Where you're in one another's, another's space. 
<laughs> and you're sharing, you're sharing the, the wisdom that you have. That brings us to the next thing. Wisdom, instruction, direction, and correction. Every member of Christ's community has something to teach me about God that I don't know yet. That may be from your experience. That may be from your perspective, your research, or your, just your intuition. Almost every day I talk to another believer who shares a, one of those, I need to write that down, insights. Those, those, those knowledge nuggets are pure goal when it comes to peering into the presence of God. Also on a regular basis, uh, come to the community of Christ, coming to the community of Christ shows me I'm wrong about when I'm, my perceptions of God. Wrong about how I perceive the priorities of, of, of God or His personality. Christ's message in all richness must live in our hearts, Colossians 3.16. Listen to what it says. Teach and instruct one another with all wisdom. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the role of a pastor. I'm not diminishing the role of a Bible teacher. I think it's a very important role. I'm very fulfilled doing it. I'm very happy that God lets me do it every week and, 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 and other times. I'm very happy about that. But I, but I know... I know that the people who really grow are the people who go from this to this. Romans 12.3 urges us not to think more highly about ourselves than we ought. Then he goes on to say in verse 4 of Romans 12, we have many members and these members do not all have the same function. And then verse 5 says, we have different gifts. And then verse 7 says, if your gift is teaching, then teach. So, how, how am I going to be taught? I got to find I got to find the people that that teach, that really teach. Not not it doesn't just say in that that if you read all of Romans twelve, it's just not talking about someone who stands up on a platform, but it's talking about every one of us. Finally, encouragement and affirmation. The Lord knows, the Lord knew that life was going to be very difficult and very draining for us. You know, the Lord knew that twenty twenty was going to happen. He knew it. You know, if you read the scripture with an open mind, you see that difficulties and even suffering is predicted. And I don't like it, and, and I, I, I try to pray it away just like you do. I'm not, I'm not pretending I don't. Uh, but God saw that. And, and in fact, he saw that all of life was going to be difficult. The Bible says that man that's born of woman is few days and full of trouble. Um, God saw that life was going to be very difficult, very draining, so he created filling stations. And, uh, and those filling stations are called the community of Jesus. Some of you remember when they used to call them service stations. And that better describes the community of Jesus, what the community of Jesus should be. At a service station, now some, some of you younger people need it, need it explained to you what a service station was. At a service station, they would uh, clean your windshield off. And, and if they needed, you could even get your oil changed and new brake pads put on your brakes at a service station because they were a service station. They weren't just a filling station. And so, so God, if, if your car has to have a service station or a filling station, you do too. And that's what the, that's what the community of Christ is. Not where you live all the time, because you're supposed to live out in the world. But it's your service station. It's where you get repaired. 
It's where you get fixed up. The, you know, first of all, a community of Jesus functions as a full-service service station. According to Ephesians chapter 4, the members are being equipped for service. Look at this. This is incredible. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The word service here is translated in some places as mission. The community of Christ's mission is not just to win the lost, but it's to affirm and encourage the saved. Sometimes we only think of encouragement as just compliments or, 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 or something like that, but, it, but the word encourage meant, uh, it, it meant a solid building that includes a lot more than just, just compliments. Encouragement adds value to another person by giving them attention, challenge, inspiration, and praise. The ultimate encouragement is when you convince me when I'm going through the fire, that you convince me that God is able. That's the ultimate. The greatest, perhaps outside of Scripture, the greatest encouragement speech I have ever listened to I read and read, I've, I've both listened to it and read it, was Winston Churchill's finest hour speech. I, I literally wept at the movie, Churchill. Here's what he said in part of it. What General Wagon called the Battle of France is over. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us on this island or lose the war. If he knows that he will have to break us on this island or lose the war, if we can stand up to him... All Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into a broad sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that have made, including all that we have made, we have known and cared for will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister, sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will say this was their finest hour. That's encouragement. That's what I get when I hang out with you. Not just when I come to church. I should get it there too, but when I hang out with you on the phone, over a cup of coffee, Encouragement and affirmation comes in a lot of a lot of sizes though, a lot of looks. When my mother died, I called my pastor back in Texas and he started crying on the phone and he said, I loved her. That encouraged me. When the New England Patriots were down 28-3 at halftime in Super Bowl 49, Bill Belichick's locker room speech went like this we have to keep doing what we're doing 
play like we know how to play and not think about what happened. They have to score a lot more points to keep us down. That's encouragement. And that's what you can give me. And that's what I can give you. Conclusion. If you want to go somewhere fast, go alone. If you want to go the distance, take a team.